Welcome to the Oklatopia Podcast. This is Lucas, your host. I'm joined today by the illustrious and lovely Elle. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Uh, That was uh, a new track off of John Mark McMillan's new album, which is called Mercury and Lightning. That single actually came out, I don't know, a couple months ago, and uh, I like it. It's, It's got a good... Christian libertarian vibe, even though I don't think he would he would be a libertarian, but it's that kind of alien in a strange land. Yeah. I like that song. I haven't liked the others on that album that I've heard so far. It's, yeah, I don't know. I've only listened through it once. I'm not sure what to think yet. He's one of my favorite songwriters, and among like Christian-specific songwriters, definitely my favorite. Yeah. Um, and... But he's almost, I feel like this album has almost come a little bit gimmicky, maybe a little, he's taking it, so like every song's got some big 80s beat to it, and... It's not him. It's it's not very, uh, it's not very organic. Yeah. And his his style has been somewhat organic, it's always had that element to it. He has that really low register voice. Combined with the falsetto, that's that's really cool. Well, I can forgive him because he... um, He's done what's currently my absolute favorite song, that Monsters Talk with Bear Reinhardt. I am just in love with that song. Maybe we can close out with that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, that is a that is a really really good song. But um, yeah, he's going to be on tour, coming to Tulsa in October. So may have to make a trek, or may have to. See if we can hook him up. Work your magic in the OKC. Lucas has Lucas has booking magic. Well, it's worked a couple times. It worked with uh, Tom Woods and Jeremy McClellan, and um, David Bazan. That's true. We had a house concert. We had a concert of seventy strangers in our house. Yeah. Because I just need to like do it more often, make a make a living out of it. But. Yeah, but I don't know. It might the magic might wear off. I don't know. We'll find out. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, what have you been up to? I'm just still living off of that amazing dinner we just had. That was pretty amazing. It was like the total family effort. Literally all five of us contributed and made a part of the meal. Yep. Um, Our three-year-old made the mushrooms, which he thought were disgusting, until he made them. And then he ate a whole pile of them. Yeah, same with eight-year-old. Yeah, we had amazing doubled eggs. Did you know smoked paprika, people, tastes like powdered bacon? (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Basically, it doesn't go with everything, (laughs) but the things that it does go with go really well. If bacon goes with it, smoked paprika goes with it. Uh, I would not go that far. Okay, well, it's pretty good. Because I would literally eat bacon on anything. I don't think there's anything I, I can think of that bacon would not go with yeah you're it's probably true for you yeah so 
Yeah. Anyway. It was pretty pleasant because our family doesn't really cook together and our kids are picky eaters. And so for us to all have a good cooking family experience and then everybody likes a dinner and is well behaved. And anyway, that's like momentous in our world right now. Yeah, really (laughs) is. Well, they they, they all have this like emotional investment in the meal. And so it's not just, oh, you forced this on me. I don't like that. Right. Like, well, I actually saw what went into it. It's not the only momentous thing in our lives right now. No, that that kind of weird combo meal was driven by particular cravings. Certain <laughs> certain cravings brought on by certain medical conditions. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to have our fourth kid. Yeah. Um, Congratulations to us. Yep. <laughs> we... <laughs> <laughs> no, really, we're excited inside. <laughs> deep, deep inside. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, anyway. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, sorry, you set me up. So, anyway, yeah. So, that's going on. And But we're going to have to, we're going to test out. I guess we've had more people in the house, living in the house in the past. But we're going to test adding a sixth resident to the house really soon here. Uh, mm-hmm. with a student from Japan. so Our first female student. That's true. We have had 29 international students live with us over a period of... Like a five-year period, five, period? Yeah, not yeah. all at once. <laughs> <laughs> and this will be our first female. Yeah. So looking forward to that. That'll be... Yeah. That'll be She's good. emailed us, introduced herself. She sounds really sweet. She wants to try football with us. Well, she heard we like... Sports. She wants to go to an NBA basketball game. Yeah. And she wants to volunteer. She wants to do volunteer work. Which sounds cool. Sounds like a cool person. Which we could get her on board with if we get involved in that uh, OKC. Yeah. Uh, Restore OKC. Restore OKC, yeah. It's a fairly recent uh, outreach to the northeast side of Oklahoma City. And uh, they've got an event coming up. You barely have If you listen to this podcast, like, right away... Uh, you can sign up. They're having a, an event called River Sport Rivalry, and it's going to be down at the River Sport area, down on the river, down on the river. And uh, so, yeah, the it's four person teams. It's going to be like an amazing race kind of setup. Uh, so they're going to do white rider rafting, and they're going to do paddle boarding in the ropes course, mm-hmm. and teams of four. So if that sounds fun, sign up. They're just asking for you to donate as much as you can. Uh, so they had originally had a suggested level of 500, but they've recently dropped it to 100. (laughs) So I guess they need more teams. Yeah. So we're going to be doing it. Some other, uh, Brendan who's been on the show, I think his family's going to be doing it. Uh, so if anybody else wants to sign up, look up, just Google, uh, river sport rivalry and Eventbrite has, has the sign up that you can sign up for it. That's what our oldest wants to do for her birthday celebration. Right. So we're, we're going to do that. She's birthday. turning 11, so she wants to do this amazing race down at the river sport thing. Yeah. So So we can... So I can get on a raft at eight weeks pregnant and try not to puke over the side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to, you know, signal your virtue, right. come on out. That was not a subtle segue at all. <laughs> You're the one who wrote it down on the pad and flashed it at me. <laughs> what do you want me to do with it? 
No, yeah, that's fine. So, yeah, that's something that um, has been on my mind lately that I've thought we should talk about is uh, virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. Uh, What it is and is it bad? Is it good? Is it both? Well, it seems to be... I agree. It's going to be tough to draw the line. Uh, I remember even uh, a Friends episode from many moons ago. Yes, I know what uh, you're talking about. Phoebe gets into volunteering and doing things, and she talks about how good it makes her feel. Mm -hmm. And then doesn't she end up quitting doing it because it just becomes a selfish obsession or something? Right, because Joey Joey tells her that there's no such thing as a good deed. right. And so she gets all excited because she's going to uh, prove she, him wrong. Yeah. And she f- thinks she finally found one. She said, I let a bee sting me and I didn't get any good feeling out of that. He said, well, you know, the bee probably died. Kind of bursts her bubble. Right. And uh, she's like bummed out because she feels good from, from her good right. work she's doing. Yeah. Well, it's not. And what I want to talk about was not so much doing a good deed as like, the signaling of it when right. you know telling people because um i think that virtue signaling um it can certainly be something that you use to elevate your reputation get people to like you um signal that you're on a certain you're, you belong to a certain tribe um but it can also be used to help inspire people and motivate them to go do the same thing. So um, I just thought we should talk about. Right. There definitely seems to be, there's always been a bandwagon effect Mm -hmm. to popular opinions, but that's definitely been accentuated to some extent in the social media age where it's very easy to speak out about something like during women's suffrage or uh, the civil rights movement. I mean, you had to get up off your butt and go get a sign and put yourself out there mm-hmm. and have the like actually put forth a significant amount of effort and you know possibly run across run afoul of the police or yeah. you know people on the other side or whatever who uh would see you and you'd be part of that group or whatever so but now with social media you can just kind of blurt out something and seriously it takes so little effort so little time but you'll be seen as part of the correct group right yeah um i i think it's interesting that we live in an age where um where good deeds and and something like this is a trend like um you know people used to want to be seen for their wealth and their power and and now it's we want to be noticed for our goodness and how virtuous we are. And I think that's progress. Well, (laughs) I think people still want to be seen for their wealth and power also. Um, And it also kind of depends on how you define virtuous. Right. Um, To the extent that it actually results in real world benefits for people who need it, then great. Yeah. Um, Well, I think um, the, the difficult thing for me when it comes to virtue signaling um, kind of lies at the crossroads with my libertarianism um, because libertarians are mainly seen as cold-hearted, calculated, selfish, cerebral, heartless, <laughs> any 
number of words that, uh, along those lines. Um, and yet, you know, first and foremost, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Christian, and I want to follow the teachings of Christ. And so I, I do have a heart for people. I do, um, I do want to pursue good in the world in an active way. And I understand how that aligns with my libertarianism because I don't think that you should ever force someone to do those things. But since so many people perceive libertarians to be cold hearted and, um, you know, not caring of the poor and those with health issues and no insurance, things like that. Um, I am sometimes tempted to virtue signal to say, see, look what, look what the free market can do. Libertarian, libertarian ideas work. And so I think that's just kind of a, that temptation is out there for me. Yeah. I, there's something to be said for that. I, I also though think of Jesus parable about the man who prays publicly, right. you know, versus, and he even says, when you do good deeds, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Right. Uh, because it's not about reward on earth. It's not about, uh, you know, recognition on earth. It's about God seeing it and rewarding you. And basically, if he, he basically just says, you get, you get recognized once for this, either by people on earth or by God in heaven. Right. So which one do you want? You can't have both. Right. Well, I mean, we we knew of an instance once where um, we knew someone who had donated a significant to them amount of money towards someone who was struggling with an illness and didn't have health insurance, and they donated this anonymously. And uh, later on, um, family members of the ill person, uh, you know they were making, they were in a political discussion and, and made comments to this anonymous donor, not knowing what they'd done and telling them, well, you just don't care about, you don't care about the poor because you're a libertarian and, um, you just want, you, I don't know, whatever they were. It doesn't matter to you. Right. It doesn't matter to you. And so this person was really struggling inside because they, they're like, well, I, you know, I would really love to just go off and tell them that <laughs> what I've done, but, um, you know, that would just be, that wouldn't be like the Christian thing to do. Well, and I think it would undermine the position. To, bragging about generosity undermines well, the, gen, the generous but is nature it, of is it. Is it bragging or is it just, is it writing someone like you you're writing a fallacy because they they believe that um people who ha hold to these political beliefs you know must be this and this and this and this and you could be just enlightening them about i think the, it's more bragging i think it's more bragging okay because it's it's ultimately rooted in pride in self-righteousness um seeking the recognition i think um actions this is where actions speak louder than words mm -hmm. like if they simply found out you know in a roundabout way mm -hmm. then i think it would be a powerful witness um but and this is to me the 
kind of the dividing line between the virtue signaling that's just kind of inherent Mm -hmm. in doing the right thing or saying the right thing and sticking up for the right issue and the right and the truth and so forth. Yeah, every action has some sort of signal in it mm-hmm. of virtue or vice. Uh, but when it's nothing but a signal, that's where it's problematic. Something that, that came up recently, you, I don't know if you remember the terrorist attack on the magazine in yeah. France, Charlie Hebdo. Right. So it was they were attacked by, you know, a group of terrorists who were ISIS sympathizers mm-hmm. because they publish uh they publish offensive cartoons of mm-hmm. of Muhammad. uh Muhammad. And kind of what they do is they publish offensive cartoons. That that's just kind of what they do. Yeah. And so that spurred this worldwide kind of everyone speaking out for the, I am Charlie Hebdo. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Je suis Hebdo. Yeah. Je suis Charlie or whatever. And so Glenn Greenwald had an article recently because to show the hypocrisy of these people of so many of these people, because recently Charlie Hebdo published a cover mocking Texans drowned basically the cover was like uh Nazi flags and hands in a salute all buried mm-hmm. underwater basically saying that Texans are all Nazis oh and you know I was wondering where Texan Hurricane or... Harvey you know oh. because of Hurricane Harvey okay <laughs> so like a lot of the same people who had defended the magazine and praised it, you know, for its boldness and whatever mm-hmm. was they were condemning it in this case. Right. And so he was pointing out that, oh, you know, when they mock a marginalized group like Muslims, then you celebrate it. Mm-hmm. But when they are mocking white Americans, then it's terrible. Right. And so yeah. It was. It was like is he Glenn Greenwald was. He was while he always supports their free speech rights. He was critical of the content, mm-hmm. even back when they were mocking Muslims. He was like, look, yeah, they have. I would protect. I would. I would work to protect their free speech rights. Yeah. But we should not condone the actual content of what they're writing. It's. We should say no. Th- this is wrong. Right. And so he's saying, I, I'm, this is the consistent position to have. So this is, that's when, that's an example of the problematic virtue signaling. When it's, you're just kind of part of the wave or when you're blind to how you're just really supporting your privilege mm-hmm. or. So, so when is it a good thing? When is virtue? Well, this is where. There needs to be practical action, I feel like, behind the virtue signaling for it to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. So if you are actually volunteering, if you are in and people find out about it, well, that's po- it sets a positive example. Mm-hmm. But if you're just talking about it, if you're, if you know, and you're just blowing up Facebook every time you do anything, then it's a little, it's just self-serving. Yeah. Well, 
I guess like all things, it just boils down to the condition of the heart because, you know, I've come across some pretty smug volunteers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they were they were putting their feet to the ground and, and getting work done, but they were they knew it too. Right. So I guess only only God knows. I just I think it's just kind of a interesting struggle, particularly for the libertarian, the as you called it on your last podcast with Steven, the the bleeding heart libertarian. Hmm. Um which I, I like that term, I guess. Uh, it applies to us. Um I think that there's the desire to let people know that libertarian libertarianism can have a soul. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just heartless selfishness. It's not just Randianism. So, yeah. Oh, I think that there's definitely a place just for simply saying, Hey, here's the accurate definition mm-hmm. of what it is. And this is, I mean, this has been a major source of, uh, it's been a major topic particularly among libertarians of recent, because there have been people who labeled themselves libertarians Mm -hmm. who have been sucked into the alt-right stuff. And so it's been kind of this crisis of definition about, okay, what what really does define libertarianism? Yeah. Uh, Because that's not it. Right. Nazism is not it. And, And so there... Obviously, what is it? Uh, I've seen this Bastiat quote floating around quite a bit lately about uh, an idea that it doesn't, uh, the worst thing for an idea to survive is not to be attacked, but to be ineptly defended. Mm. And so, yeah, you need to, we need to eptly <laughs> defend it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I guess that's kind of why I just prefer to tell people I'm an anarchist. Um, I I prefer that term, and I you've made a point before that that can misconstrue in people's minds like a socialist anarchist, but I'm an anarcho-capitalist. Right. Um, but I like I like saying anarchist because first of all, it's truer to what I am because uh, libertarians would still accept a measure of government and stuff and. Plus, I just like being a 37-year-old mom of three who, you know, middle class or whatever, saying I'm an anarchist, really right. throws people, gives them something it, something to stick in their minds besides the black-haired punk kid who... Yeah. Well, to me, libertarian can... it It's a broader term. Right. So I wouldn't say, oh, a libertarian thought process still, you know, involves the state. No, it, it depends. Like uh, a liber- to me libertarianism is a disposition more than anything. It's a it's a presumption mm-hmm. for uh the benefit of the doubt goes to goes goes to freedom. Right. Uh at the very least. So that to me would be the most basic form of libertarianism. Uh, there was an article written recently by Jason Lee Bias and posted on the Center for Stateless Society website. I recommend looking it up. Uh, It's called Radical Liberalism, the Soul of Libertarianism. And he points out this really crucial fact 
that, that I've thought about a lot, but he really defines it well. He says, liberalism is committed to both a staggering confidence and a sobering fear. Its confidence is in the free association of individuals through markets, civil society, and the spaces in between. Its fear is in the disruption of those dreams and aspirations by some against others. So he says, liberalism is the fearless embrace of the positive sum and the terrified rejection of the zero sum. At its most radical, liberalism insists that an injury to one is an injury to all and proposes an oath of, I swear to never live for the sake of another, nor to ask another to live for mine. Hmm. It holds that those two principles are not only compatible, but complementary. So I think this off, this kind of gets at the heart where a lot of people only see the sobering fear side mm-hmm. of libertarianism. And unfortunately, I have to admit, a lot of libertarians really focus only on that sobering fear. Yeah. The fear of the way in the which the state is predatory, the way rent seekers you know, live off of the revenue of other people and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but they don't see, and libertarians don't talk enough about that, that confidence, but, but people will also see that isolated as like utopian ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. Right. But they don't, but, and to me, like this is the beauty of like someone like Jeff Tucker who, you know, talks, oh, yeah. you know, the, he's kind of like, I would call him the joyful libertar- libertarian yeah. where <laughs> he like title. is pointing out how, how amazing life is in so many ways. Like, and he has such a positive, uh, optimistic right. outlook while he's even calling out the evils that are out there. Like he's on the forefront Two, I think it was two or three years ago, he wrote, an article that was very controversial at the time called Against Brutalism. And it was basically, he was saying, we need to reject this like form of libertarianism where it's just, it's only about like, leave me alone Mm -hmm. kind of libertarianism. Like he's like, we need to talk about how libertarianism like enables civic flourishing. Right. It's proactive. Individual flourishing it makes for a more cooperative society and a less contentious society because there there's less zero sum games to uh, to fight over yeah in in the political sphere it removes things from that to the collaborative sphere where we can all have what we want through free association right uh, it's like the the Cajun Navy right now during the hurricane how they they are um, people from all over the country outdoorsmen are bringing their boats and their gear and coming to the aid to rescue people in the hurricane, things that government agencies just did not have the manpower or in a lot of cases, the training to do. And to me, it's just a, an excellent example of libertarianism at work. Just, just people doing what people do because Mm -hmm. most people in the world are decent people. I mean, you can squabble all day long about whether people are inherently good or inherently bad, so, I mean, let's use the term decent. <laughs> Most people do the decent thing. All right. And and what what system enhances the good side of people and limits the damage the bad side does? Mm-hmm. Right? So to me, that's like that's also what libertarianism does. So it's like, okay, some people are good, some people are bad. Most people are a mix of both. And so what are the best parts about us? 
well, you know, it's it's spontaneous order and collaboration and the way we get together and common causes and mm-hmm. you know things like that uh, to and to make new discoveries and create new products and so forth, you know. And then what are the worst parts about us? Greed and selfishness and stuff. Well, the market takes those and turns them into like the way to get rich is to make things and do things that other people want. Yeah. Right. So you're serving the desires of other people in order to get to gain wealth for yourself. Yeah. And abide by your contracts. Right. So, I mean, like keeping promises is how to succeed in business. Right. Yeah. And then like, what are the, what is the absolute worst thing to give to people? Power Mm -hmm. is the worst thing. It corrupts so many good people and then obviously gives evil people more tools at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Like what consolidates power more than any other system? Politi- politics, political power, the state. It gives, I mean, I anyway, that, <laughs> <laughs> that's my soapbox. That's my soapbox for today. But anyway. Uh, I, I do think that you're right in saying that libertarians do need to talk about, talk more about the positive side of things because one of the things that, initially started moving me away from being a Republican was just how it seemed like all they stood for was whatever the opposite of the Democrats stood for. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really have any principles of their own. It was just, we're anti-liberal. We don't really stand for anything. We just stand against things. And so that started to be a major turnoff for me. And so I think libertarians need to watch it and how how much their rhetoric is anti-government and start focusing more on how it is pro people and voluntary voluntarism was that a word mm-hmm. um voluntarism and voluntarism vol- are both terms slightly different but very similar right i couldn't anyway, i couldn't figure out which was those which. hairs no i couldn't figure out which was which on the spot but anyway yeah that's that um It brings up, I think, an interesting, I don't know, uh, crossroads, I think, between our libertarianism and our Christianity Mm -hmm. in things like things that both get misinterpreted by the outside world, and it speaks to how careful we need to be in the way we approach controversial Issues. Mm-hmm. So, going with this. so uh, well, yeah, because we <laughs> talked about it before the podcast. No, but yeah, I, I. Um. So, very controversial subject that I've been hesitant to bring up on the podcast. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but recently, there was a statement released called the Nashville Statement. So, is a group of evangelical pastors and leaders that issue kind of a a joint official statement on human sexuality, mm-hmm. particularly homosexuality, transgenderism, you know, what's what's the consensus Christian biblical viewpoint? As as orthodox as a bunch of non-denominational yeah. folks can get in their, right. their attempt their, at their a... Their approximation at, at an ecumenical council. Yeah. So the way I found out about it was some Twitter post that was trending about all these bigots, you know, mm-hmm. posting this statement. And I was like, well, dang, I need to go read this because I mean, 
if someone says evangelicals are being bigots, I'm the first one to give them the benefit <laughs> of the doubt usually. So, you know, I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go check out these, what this bigoted statement is. So I, all of our evangelical friends and family, we love you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're generally exceptions to the we, rule. We know cool people. Right. So, uh, anyway, I went and I, I read the statement, and it's made up of 14 articles, and each article has an affirmation and then uh, what you call denunciation. We affirm this. We deny this. Does it affirm stoning? No. Well. Bummer. <sighs> Just kidding. Then, <laughs> totally then they're clearly not Christian enough. That's right. <laughs> <sighs> Where's Leviticus when you need it? Um. <laughs> Certainly, so certainly not uh, welcoming the foreigner into your lands, but right, that's neither here nor there. So I was at least expecting to like read this and be like, well, okay, maybe I kind of see their points, but I figured they'd probably be calling for some at least unlibertarian things, if not unchristian things, right? Um, or at least saying things in in like a that's eh, maybe not the best way to phrase that or the most right. loving way. So I wanted to. In a minute here, I want to walk through the articles, I think, just to really kind of point out their unremarkable uh, orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. And But first, I kind of want to talk about the reaction to it. So first of all, I kind of understand, you know, a progressive, materialist, agnostic, you know, viewpoint would see this as hokum and hooey and, you know, totally wrongheaded. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even I could even understand them seeing it as somewhat bigoted, but I want to talk about that, that word in a minute. But first I want to say like, what do they expect? Like, this is, <laughs> this is like, like, I just think it's kind of funny that they're like shocked and surprised. It's like, this is literally what Christians have believed for 2000 years. So right. it's not like it's, it's nothing. It's like, uh, the ba- even the Babylon Bee posted mm-hmm. an article that was like people shocked by Christians saying what Christians have always believed. <laughs> I mean, it was like, like, like really. It, it, I think it's kind of this is where the Christian persecution alarmists, who I think are really myopic and ridiculous, kind of have a point where people aren't like the same people aren't shocked and horrified that like. Muslim women wear headscarves or mm-hmm. something. You know, it's like, yeah, that that's what they do. It's part of their religion. Right. Like um but you had a, you noticed a, a post from from yeah. some Christians that I that was kind of interesting and I also have something that's interesting. So I I have loved Gunger's music. We we went to school with Michael Gunger and uh and went to his church and uh He's incredibly talented, um, incredibly gifted worship leader, and he and his wife are just amazing people. And so I've I've followed them on Facebook. I listen to some of their songs, and and um, I've kind of noticed a shift in their ideology over the years. Um, but I was pretty surprised. I didn't notice this much of a shift because before I even knew anything about the Nashville statement, I saw a Facebook post of theirs 
saying that they stood against the Nashville statement and they were they were signing a statement of their own or part of this other groups that, um, in support of yeah, LGBTQ. Denver statement. The Denver statement. Yeah, the Denver statement. Which I unfortunately haven't read yet. Go ahead. Um, I think I I briefly read it, but um, it was just. It w- the entire thing was disappointing because not only not only was I disappointed in their stance, but then I w- read through some of the comments and I was disappointed at how Christians were responding to their stance. And the whole thing was just, it was just a mess. So, um, yeah, it, then I, uh, what, I messaged you and you told me it was in response to the Nashville statement, which... You brought a printout home. Yeah. And I read through it. I'm like, well, sadly, <laughs> this is this is exactly what I believe and as as a as a Christian. So I mean there wasn't there wasn't anything that al- alarmed me. Mm-hmm. So something that I kind of wanted to unpack, and this is something where I'm kind of thinking out loud is where is the line of bigotry? Right. Because part of me wants to say, well, we can disagree, but as long as we disagree respectfully, it doesn't cross that line mm-hmm. into bigotry. As And as a Christian, I can say, what you're doing, I would define as a sin or as against God's design, mm-hmm. but I but I still love you, and I wouldn't, if you're not a Christian, I wouldn't even necessarily expect you to live up right. to this standard, you know? But, but like, I don't think of myself as a bigot, it, you know, as, as long as... But is it a double standard that you're... Right, because I was thinking, well, what about the con- in the context of racism? Because there are kind of live-and-let-live racists, you know? Mm-hmm. Like... Okay, y'all go over there, and I'm gonna have my little white community here. Um, but I don't want to, you know, burn your churches down or you know, ex, you know, uh, deport you or whatever. I just don't want you living in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I don't want you in my schools. I don't want you in my. Ch- I want to go to a church that's only white people or whatever. Like I would, I would be tempted. I would uh, lean towards saying, well, you're a bigot just because your beliefs are wrong. Yeah. Even if you're not like actually actively hateful about them. Mm-hmm. So, so then I'm wondering, well, does that apply here? Like if I believe that homosexual relationships, you know, are wrong or, or, antithetical to God's design mm-hmm. for human sexuality, am I a bigot as such, even if I'm kind and friendly and loving and right. don't want any legal restrictions on your yeah. ability to, you know, have consensual relationships? Yeah. I, I just think <laughs> there's so much to unpack in this conversation and and it is it is one where we certainly want to be sensitive and loving, but I mean, there's a, a lot of hard conversation to be had here. Um, but I, I think one of the key things that you said, um, 
you, you use the term homosexual relationships and not homosexuality in and of itself. Cause, mm-hmm. cause we've talked before kind of how, I mean, you, you can be gay, you can be born gay, you can be, you know, born with a preference for, um, the same sex, mm-hmm. but it's, um, it's the acting on it that right. is, is wrong. Like nobody is wrong for who they are, you know, it, the way that they're born, there's, there's no one who's wrong or a sin for just existing. Right. It is what you do with that and how you act upon it. So that's key. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to clarify that up front. Um, right. And I think someone, a critic would say, well, it's unfair to expect. So someone of no fault of their own is born with uh, an attraction for same sex and not an attraction for the opposite sex. So you're, you know, you're basically saying they can never find sexual fulfillment. Like that's completely unfair because they didn't choose that. Um, and I would, I guess I would, that's, that is a really difficult issue that, and it is unfair. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's not fair that I was, born with whatever chemical makes me deal with depression. Right. You know, it, it's not, it's not fair that, um, some people are born with whatever makes them inclined to chemical abuse and, and substance abuse. So I think we're, we're all born with things that are just grossly unfair. Yeah. I think to play devil's advocate, you might say, well, those are obvious flaws from like perfection. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it's it's more difficult for people to hear or to even say that your who you fall in love with is a flaw from perfection is a flaw from design. Yeah. Well, I mean That's a really tough thing. One aspect to keep in mind too, I think is that our modern culture elevates sexuality and sexual fulfillment to a much higher extent than I think is probably healthy. And it's definitely a higher extent than, you know, there from a Christian viewpoint, like your spiritual life is the height Mm -hmm. is the most important aspect of who you are. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah. I mean, today's culture elevates it to the same level of need as food. Right. Um, You, you, need sex to survive and stay sane and be healthy. And I mean, that's just, that's pretty absurd. Right. So I think, I think that that, um, first it's just wrong, first of all, but it, it, I don't know, it distorts something at such a fundamental level. Um, and, and everything that branches out from that is going to be distorted from there on out. Right. Well, and, you know, in particularly in the Catholic Church, sexuality and sexual experience is a good thing, but there is a higher, there are also other good things that mm-hmm. it can be given up for. So straight priests, you know, give up sexuality. Yeah. Or they give up the expression of it. Yeah. You know, the specific well, expression of it. We we have restraints on our sexuality. I mean, we're married, but it still has to be consensual. It still has to be between the two of us. We can't just go out and 
fall in love with somebody that we meet out there and, and get to do whatever we want. I mean, sex comes with restraints. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it, it, that's just, even, even the libertines out there would, I mean, you still have to agree that there is at least the restraint of consensual sex. Right. So, I mean, that that's just that's just a fact, and so it's figuring out where the constraints are. And here's where it comes. I think for me, again, I, I hope I'm not being hypocritical in this viewpoint, but this this line of bigotry, like first of all, something that this is something that I maybe there are Catholics too, but I mainly b blame uh, evangelical conservatives for this is blurring the line between the standards Christians should live by and the standards the rest of society should live by. Right. So when we take the standard that I would agree with them, like if you're a Christian, I, I believe homosexuality, the pract homosexual practices mm -hmm. are wrong for a Christian mm -hmm. to participate in. But I certainly can't hold a non-Christian to that standard. Right. Um, some people... Some conservatives make claims about the effect that it has on society at large or whatever. And I would just say, well, I don't, we're called to be salt and light, and we're, we're supposed to do that through our own lives, yeah. not through guilting other people into living by a moral code when they don't have the basis of belief for that moral code in the first place. Especially when, I mean, you're worried about the effects on society. Well... 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. So, right. you know, maybe plank, plank in your own eye. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else you want to say on this subject before getting specific no, on the articles? All right. Uh, All right. If that wasn't awkward enough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there, there are a lot. I don't know if I should go through all of them. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Point, okay. Just point out a few. All right. Article one. We affirm that God has designed marriage to be a covenantal, sexual, procreative, lifelong union of one man and one woman as husband and wife and is meant to signify the covenant love between Christ and his bride, the church. We deny that God has designed marriage to be a homosexual, polygamous, or polyamorous relationship. We also deny that marriage is... We also deny that marriage is a mere human contract rather than a covenant made before God. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I agree with that. Now, there can be like, there's Christian marriage, mm -hmm. you know, and this is where some Christians would, would extrapolate and say, well, marriage preceded the state, therefore this is what marriage is, so that, you know, the state should have laws that submit to the pre-existing definition of marriage. And it's like, okay, I see your point, but like if people don't buy into that worldview, I mean, the, the laws are for other, for everyone. Right. So I think we need to divide between like civil marriage and Christian marriage. Right. If marriage is a covenant, government cannot oversee covenants. Government oversees contracts. So, I mean, if you, if you make some sort of, I don't, I don't know, I don't need to go any deeper sure. than that, but I mean, if, if you want to have a marriage contract with someone drawn up by the civil government, then so be it. Then it's a civil marriage, but it's not 
holy matrimony. Right. So Article 2 says, We affirm that God's revealed will for all people is chastity outside of marriage and fidelity within marriage. We deny that any affections, desires, or commitments ever justify sexual intercourse before or outside marriage, nor do they justify any form of sexual immorality. Straightforward enough. Article 3. We affirm that God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings, in his own image, equal before God as persons and distinct as male and female. We deny that divinely ordained differences between male and female render them unequal in dignity or worth. Yeah. So the only thing I see potentially problematic is divinely ordained differences between male and female. (laughs) Well, so you were able to lift that enormous heavy toilet and carry it down the stairs without a grunt. And I physically would not be able to do that. So no, but I have seen an Oklahoma city firewoman who would be able (laughs) to carry you down the stairs on the toilet. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I run into her. She's amazing. She is ripped. (laughs) <laughs> I have. I don't think I'm, they test for PEDs in a firefighter, <laughs> firefighter school. All right. Article four. We affirm that divinely ordained differences between male and female reflect God's original creation design are meant for him. And this is okay. This is basically. I would like to know what they mean by divinely or or divinely ordained differences. I think they're saying penises and vaginas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because these are the foundational articles to then talk about transgenderism. Okay. Um, They could be talking about more than that, but at the very least, that's that's what I think what they're talking about. Uh, We affirm that the differences between male and female reproductive structures are integral to God's design for self-conception as male or female. So they're 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 linking sexual they're linking anatomy to gender identity mm-hmm. uh, or to sexual identity. Okay, yeah, that's better. Right. We deny that physical anomalies or psychological conditions nullify the God-appointed link between biological sex and self-conception as male or female. Yeah, I mean, it's all... I, I don't have any issues with all this. I mean, it's um, it's all pretty straightforward. None of it is... right. Okay. Article 6. We affirm that those born with a physical disorder of sex development are created in the image of God and have dignity and worth equal to all other image bearers. They are acknowledged by our Lord Jesus in his words about, quote, eunuchs who are born that way from their mother's womb, end quote. With all others, they are welcome as faithful followers of Jesus Christ and should embrace their biological sex insofar as it may be known. We deny that ambiguities related to a person's biological sex render one incapable of living a fruitful life in joyful obedience to Christ. Perfect. That's to beautiful. Me, to me, this article, at the very, even if you disagree with, like, I don't know, scientifically with it mm-hmm. or something, like, at the very least, you have to give these folks the benefit of the doubt on the bigot argument. Yeah, they're welcoming, they're inclusive. Right. I mean, loving... Right. That's what's, you know, to me, like when I read this, I was like, oh, I mean, that doesn't sound like a bigot to me. I mean, does a racist say, I believe white people are superior, but all black people are welcome in my church and in my business and in my neighborhood? It's like, no, that undermines right what they're saying. 
All right. Article 7. We affirm that self-conception as male or female should be divined by God's holy purposes in creation and redemption as revealed in Scripture. We deny that adopting a homosexual or transgender self-conception is consistent with God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. I think this is somewhat maybe contradictory to what we had said before. Like, this, they're saying that... that um, Adopting a homosexual self-conception is not consistent with God's purpose. Um, I, gu- I guess it. I guess it consider it, it depends on how uh, homosexual self-conception is defined. This would I, seem to suggest that you need to find a way to go straight. Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Right. If. It's not very clear, but I agree. Your I would, I would preferences say preferences are your preferences, and and you can make some effort, but right? I mean, ultimately, because I, th- I, th- I think there are people who genuinely like want to be heterosexual, mm-hmm. but struggle with a same sex attraction. Yeah, but they desire a normal heterosexual relationship. Yeah, and so those kinds of people will often seek counseling. Mm-hmm. And so forth. And so if that's your desire, that's that's fine. Yeah. You know, but I think there are also some people who would just never in a million years yeah. desire a heterosexual relationship. And so I And mean, I think that's I think that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, you if you're going to um consider yourself a Christian, I mean you would have to to curb those appetites and preferences and or essentially cut them off but um acting on those right acting on them but but i mean okay person is well here's article eight maybe this undermines what we're saying (laughs) our may undermines our criticism (laughs) we affirm that people who experience sexual attraction for the same sex may live a rich and fruitful life pleasing to god through faith in jesus christ as they like all christians walk in purity of life Okay. We deny that sexual attraction for the same sex is part of the natural goodness of God's original creation or that it puts a person outside the hope of the gospel. So everyone will be straight in heaven, but <laughs> everyone will be a- asexual. Everyone will be asexual. <laughs> what are you saying? I don't know. I, I was trying to... That was the message version of there. <laughs> I don't think it translated. Article. Okay. <laughs> Article 9, we affirm that sin distorts sexual desires by directing them away from the marriage covenant and toward sexual immorality, a distortion that includes both heterosexual and homosexual immorality. We deny that an enduring pattern of desire for sexual immorality justifies sexually immoral behavior. And and this is, I, I appreciate that they put heterosexual and homosexual right. sexual immorality on the same plane. Yeah. They, Homosexuality is not some special, special sin. Yeah, yeah, there's a special level of hell for... Right. Yeah. Article 10, we affirm that it is sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. We deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. This is a tough one because it involves 
public approval, you know, and then yeah. to hear there's a key distinction between refraining from approval and expressing disapproval. Right. That's a key. Di- and that's why I most of the time don't even talk about this subject. Right. Because I'm not really interested in expressing disapproval. Yeah. I, I, it, I mean, I yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we just, we love people right? and that is our goal is to show people the love of Christ. And if someone came to us and asked us, Hey, what do you think of, sure. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, we, we could be gently honest, but it's, it's not, um, I, I'm really not interested in. And I think as a, as a libertarian, I can take a similar position on this as I would on like free speech. Like I completely abhor the bigoted, racist, violent speech, you know, that, that you're, but I defend your right to speak it, your legal right to speak it. Yeah. So it wouldn't even be that strong of a distinction, I guess, for, for gay marriage. Mm -hmm. It would be, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not really like celebrating your lifestyle, you know, but I'm not going to go like wave a rainbow flag and, and celebrate it. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I'm not going to go protest your parade either. No. And I'll even defend your legal right to have the legal arrangements you, you want to have. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think some I'll, of the, some of the legal restrictions that Christians want to put on, uh, homosexuals are, are cruel. I mean, if you have, a, a partner that is in the hospital dying. Right. I mean, and, and you've made arrangements. I mean, those two people get to decide. Right. <laughs> no one else does. Right. So yeah. I agree. Article 11. We're getting, we're getting close here, folks. Hang on. Uh, we affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times, including when we speak to or about one another's male and female. We deny any obligation to speak in such ways that dishonor God's design of his image bearers as male and female. Simple enough. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Just it's basically just... That's, speak respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> I, I almost feel like that's kind of put in there to be like, hey, we're not bigots. Be nice. Uh, Article 12. We affirm that the grace of God in Christ gives both merciful pardon and transforming power, and that this pardon and power enable a follower of Jesus to put to death sinful desires and to walk in a matter worthy of the Lord. We deny that the grace of God is insufficient to forgive all sexual sins and to give power for holiness to every believer who feels drawn into sexual sin. Yeah, simple enough. Article 13. Now, obviously, people some people would quibble that you need to seek forgiveness for this but it's like what is interesting is there aren't the same kind of like progressive denunciations of the church saying you need you should be faithful to your husband right yeah there's that's interesting i don't know maybe maybe there's like this i maybe i'm not recognizing there's dishonesty involved there but let's say that it's an open marriage Mm -hmm. that's you know the you're honest about it. You haven't gone behind anybody's back. You haven't lied. Like, I think uh, a lot of more progressive people would be totally okay with that. Yeah, but... And Christians I th- would not be. I 
I think that they might be okay with it, but I think that they would recognize that you're not actually a Christian if that's right. If that's how you're living, sure. Like, I was like, okay, like well, an outsider. I totally, could... I totally support you um, having this polyamorous relationship, but um, why do you why do you got a mask? <laughs> right. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? Right. It wouldn't be seen as as <gasps> pearl clutching scandal. Yeah. That that. You believe that? I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I don't agree with that, but yeah, you're a Christian. That's what you believe." Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what's new? Yeah. So, I, I mean, it is just kind of like, it, well, whatever. I'm All right, gonna... we're almost done. Article thirteen. Uh, buh, 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 buh. We affirm that the grace of God enables sinners to forsake tr- transgender self-conceptions and, by divine forbearance, accept the God-ordained link between one's biological sex and one's self-conception as male or female. That's a very controversial statement right now. Yeah. We deny that the grace of God sanctions self-conceptions that are at odds with God's revealed will. Article 14, We uh, this is the last one. We affirm that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and yeah, basically the gospel. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that Article 13 one, um, I mean, I feel... I feel a particular interest in the whole transgender debate right now um, because, I mean, that was that was quite frankly something that I somewhat struggled with growing up uh, my entire life. I desperately wanted to be a boy. And uh, my my big brother was my idol, and I wanted to be just like him. And I'm not I'm not just talking like I was a tomboy. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, by the time I got to junior high, I was so depressed and upset and like about the female changing body. And I did not want to start junior high and start changing in locker rooms. And I, I begged God to either turn me into a boy or I I wanted to die. And so this is, it's something that I can relate to in a way. And, um, even though that feels very distant for me now, Mm. um, it's something that I can relate to and have compassion on. Um, and at the same time, I see someone who I, I see someone like, um, Jenner, Caitlin, Caitlin, Mm -hmm. um, Bruce slash Caitlin. Um, and I just think it's absurd that this person thinks that they're a woman. Um, and I think it kind of offends me in a way because it feels like, (laughs) it feels like gender appropriation. Mm. Um, it's like you did not grow up with the same issues that I specifically had as a girl. Mm. You, you really don't know what it's like to be a a woman. Mm -hmm. Because, because you have long hair and wear makeup and wear a dress now. Yes. You and suddenly it, it reduces right. my my gender mm-hmm. to to hair and makeup and clothes. And to me it's it's a form of sexism. And to if you if you think that being a woman means just body parts and a dress, then then you're very mistaken about what womanhood is. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just. What do you think about the analogy to like that, 
that famous instance a year or two ago where that woman passed herself off, that white woman passed herself off as black Mm -hmm. for a long time. And that was, you know, seen as very appropriating. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think from someone else's perspective what the distinction would be between transracialism and transgenderism, and I'm not really sure. Yeah, what, if to I can... me, there's kind of a, a mix of feelings there. Like, okay, one, it's it's weirdly flattering mm-hmm. that you bl- love my culture so much mm-hmm. that you are actually trying to impersonate right. a, a black person as a white person. Um, but at the same time, it just, you know, it, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You don't know, you don't know what it, what it is like to go from birth to death as a black person. Right. I mean, it's just, well, and I remember, I seem to remember a time when things like concepts like diversity and tolerance kind of meant more like accepting who you are, like not thinking of yourself as better, but also mm-hmm. not trying to be anyone else. Yeah. Accepting who you were as you were. Um, and I know that there's an element of, we all seek to better ourselves in some way, mm-hmm. you know, but there's also an element of, there's, I think something to be said for accepting who you are as you are. Yeah. In, in like real kind of, I don't know, emotional, health and fulfillment is found there. Yeah. And I get, you know, that's what some people are saying is that, well, who I really am is a different sex than what I was born with. And I have a lot of, like you said, you, you have some inherent, you have some sympathy, quite a bit of sympathy for someone in that position. I mean, that's hard. Yeah. That's hard to feel like you are not who you want to be and everything that you, that you think you ought to be. But I mean, I'm, I'm certainly thankful that I didn't travel down that road any further. And, um, I've come to really appreciate being a woman and even all that that entails. Um, and I still, I still have, some issues of envy for what men can do, Mm. but, um, but I just need to appreciate what I'm capable of doing. And, and I think, um, I think one of the things that I think needs to be clarified is that, um, the distinctions between the terms masculine and male Mm-hmm. And feminine and female. Right. So, yeah. You can be a very feminine man. Right. If that's who you are, be a feminine man. I mean, whatever femininity looks like or, you know, however you define that, you can be a feminine man. You can be a very masculine woman. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But your biology is your biology. And like, just like, um, you know, what is it? Those... uh those people who have limb disassociation, mm-hmm. um, somebody was giving that as an example the other day, um, who want doctors to remove a limb because it feels foreign to them. Mm-hmm. And you're literally cutting off part of your body 
mm-hmm. just because you're something in your brain isn't recognizing it. And we wouldn't call that healthy. Right. Well, and we, and we also wouldn't deny the reality, uh, like of their conception. Right. Right. Like, like, like they could want to be honest, like they're not screwing with you. Right. They're not like, you You wouldn't marginalize them. You would say, you would say, no, I accept the fact that in your head, mm-hmm. this is real. Yes. But then I'm going to try to help you understand what the objective reality is. Right. I mean, you, you would not just, um, you would not just support an anorexic person continuing to starve themselves because in their mind, they're fat. No, you would try to walk them through their self-perception and, and help them see what's true. So I, I don't know. I feel like this is something that, you know, we need to be obviously very loving and compassionate for, because I, I know how hard that is, Mm. but, um, but it just doesn't. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how I was going to finish that sentence. (laughs) Need to be loving and compassionate because it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. One last thing on this subject. Um, I have you heard of Father James Martin? He's no. a Catholic priest who's kind of a celebrity. He's a best-selling author. It's not that Father Mike. No, no, the, no, not at all. The priest that's way too attractive to be a priest. No, this is Father, Reverend James Martin. He's a, like I said, a published author, and he's kind of known as the lefty famous Catholic. And I've usually kind of given the benefit of that benefit of the doubt because he's kind of a nice antidote to the conservatives, you know, but I don't, I feel like he, he plays games somewhat. Like he won't completely come out and explicitly deny church teaching, but he'll kind of like, Hey, I'm just asking, just saying, just asking questions. You know what I mean? So he, he posted, um, in a series of tweets, seven responses to the Nashville statement. Okay. And so I'll read them, but then I'll talk about why they really bother me. Okay. Basically, I think they're all non sequiturs. <laughs> so he says, one, I affirm that God loves all LGBT people. I deny that Jesus wants us to insult, judge, or further marginalize them. Okay. So like, the statement itself literally said God loves all LGBT people. Yeah, you're and, being redundant, Father. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's another one. I affirm that all of us are in need of conversion. I deny that LGBT people should in any way be singled out as the chief or only sinners. The national statement specifically states that they're not the chief or only sinners. It in no right. way signals them, singles them it, out. It does single it, it them, out. them out. Okay. It doesn't say that they're chief. It does right. single them out. But it's in response to a culture that's getting more right. and more murky on the issue. Right. Okay. I affirm that when Jesus encountered people on the margins, he led with welcome, not condemnation. I deny that Jesus wants any more judging. Now, judging is a pejorative term, but it has... Also, like a like an actual just descriptive term, and Jesus, like, I mean, the Bible literally calls us to judge. Yeah, like, and he's a priest. Like, he literally hears confessions every week and judges whether those are <laughs> sins or not. I, yeah, it, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's a non sequitur. 
Anyway, um, he says, I affirm that LGBT people are, by virtue of baptism, full members of the church. I deny that God wants them to feel that they don't belong. That's a that's a legitimate concern, but the statement, the Nashville statement, goes out of its way to say that LGBT people can can live a full Christian life. Right. You you can be that. It's a matter of acting on it. Right. Once again. But the, but specifically, and just like apart from what we actually think about the subject, like it's like he didn't even read this. Yeah, it's like see, I feel, I feel it's like, like he's, he heard about it he's on pa- Twitter, <laughs> right? He's pand. What I what I know is that I'm sure he did read it, but it feels like he's pandering to his audience. Yeah, by feeding their conceptions of what it's almost like they're like, we're not going to believe the words you actually wrote because we think you really have a sinister plot to throw us all in prison or stone us or something. Well, and that's what's so sad about this is that probably a lot of people are not actually going to go read the Nashville statement. They're just going to hear by word of mouth or social media stuff about it. And so it's just going to, they're going to get all hot and bothered. Right. Without right. reading it. He says, I affirm that LGBT people have been made to feel like dirt by many churches. I deny that Jesus wants us to add to their immense suffering. Well, yeah. Of okay. Course. Yeah, but again, I don't You're know. So how, clever. I don't know how relevant that is to the statement. Like, I agree with with what he says. Mm-hmm. I affirm that L, now. It depends on what the source of that suffering. Like, we're all called to some form of suffering. We should not suffer from hatred from Christians. We should not make each other <laughs> suffer. Right. <laughs> exactly. But, like, we are anyway. Holiness is life sucks sometimes. Yeah. And pursuit of holiness usually involves some suffering. Yeah. On every for everyone. Yeah, for everyone and in many ways. I affirm that LGBT people are some of the holiest people I know. I deny that Jesus wants us to judge others when he clearly forbade it. Um there's that judge not unless you be judged. Now that's like a plank and speck thing mm-hmm. there too, where I it, and we've talked about that. I've talked about this on pod, the podcast before. Be self-critical first. Mm-hmm. Always self-critical first. He says, I affirm that the Father loves LGBT people. The Son calls them and the Holy Spirit guides them. I deny nothing about God's love for them. I think yeah, he's just being that, redundant. That's an easy statement. I like. I agree with almost everything he says here. I just don't see them as responses to the Nashville statement. Yeah. So this is what I'm talking about. He... It bothers me because I feel like this is kind of like pandery. Yeah. Fill in the gaps here. I'm not going to actually say anything. Yeah, exactly. I might get fired if I speak any more clearly. (laughs) So anyway, well, that was a long time to talk about that subject. And I sincerely hope that we didn't offend anybody. Uh, We don't mean to. uh, But... We're definitely interested in a dialogue. Yeah. If anyone disagrees with us on certain points, uh, we're more than happy to engage and talk about this subject. Um, And just want to affirm that Christians should have love for everybody. Right. And while still living the standard that we're called to by the church. And we acknowledge that first and foremost, our duty is to examine our own sins right, and not the sins of others. Um, but we, 
but we also need to call truth as it is. So. Yep. Well, you always say we need to be under an hour and we're over. Sucked you in. You read all 13 Nashville statements. (laughs) I said, yeah, I read a few. (laughs) 13 articles later. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if you do want to respond or chime in, you can comment on Facebook uh, or you can uh, send us an email, oklatopia at gmail.com. So, L, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah. And hopefully I can get this song. I wanted to go out with that. Monsters that song. Talk. Yeah. Oh, it's so Creatures on collision are just